0: Before we begin the episode, I just want to say thank you to all the podcasters and attendees who took a chance and joined us for the first True Crime Podcast Festival held in Chicago on July 13th. I had so much fun getting to know new podcasters and seeing my old friends, along with meeting listeners, attending panels, and live shows. I can't wait for 2020, so be sure you're following True Crime Podcast Festival on Twitter at TCPF2019. And go to the website, truecrimepodcastfestival.com or tcpf2019.com. I would like to welcome to the club our most recent Patreon supporters, Eloise S., Amber B., Sarah S., Nicola H. Thank you so much for joining Patreon. I hope that you'll consider enjoying the new content we have available, True Crime Fan Club Prime, which feature episodes that are completely picked by you, the listener. Head to patreon.com slash tcfcpodcast for more information. Explicit content is found in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. In 2018, the world was rocked by the disappearance and murder of Shanann Watts and her two beautiful daughters, especially when it was discovered they were murdered by Chris Watts their husband, and father. But in 2014, in a similarly horrific case that was not as highly publicized, Timothy Jones Jr. of Lexington, South Carolina, murdered his five children because one of them ruined an electrical outlet. Okay, on to the show. Timothy Jones Jr. worked as an engineer with Intel, making roughly $80,000 a year. He was divorced and raising his five children as a single father. The children were his oldest daughter Mary, 8, Elias, 7, Nathan, 6, Gabriel, 2, and Abigail Elaine or just Elaine, 1. Timothy was 32 at the time of the murders. He and his ex-wife Amber Kaiser had recently gone through a messy divorce in October 2013. Allegedly, Amber had an affair with their neighbor. Jones and Kaiser met in 2004 when they both worked in Chicago at Enchanted Castle, a kid's play place similar to Chuck E. Cheese. She was 19 and had not graduated from high school. Timothy impressed Amber with his intelligence and his drive. He was computer savvy in school and wanted to attend medical school. Timothy was also involved in the Apostolic Pentecostal Church. The couple married just six weeks later. Amber did not hold a job outside the home and did not have a driver's license. Keeping one partner dependent on the other is a common tactic in abusive relationships. Because of the lack of independence she had during their marriage, when the divorce was finalized, Amber had agreed to grant Jones full custody of the children since she was unable to take care of them financially. Later, at a sentencing hearing, she said, quote, I had nothing to offer my children. I could not provide for them. As a mother, I made the best decision I could. I trusted my husband at the time. He promised to take care of our children, end quote. After they married, the pair moved to Mississippi, where Jones enrolled and graduated from a community college with a degree in computer science and engineering. He was hired by Intel and they moved to a rundown mobile home in Lexington County, South Carolina, with three of their small children. Amber was under the impression they were moving into a large home, but instead they lived in a ramshackle trailer with 30 chickens, goats, turkeys, and rabbits. Not only did Amber have to stay home with small children, she had to take care of the livestock as well. She was also expected to homeschool the children even though she herself did not have a high school diploma. By 2013, they had two more children, but Amber was disillusioned with the marriage. The marriage was not equal. Her role was to take care of the house and children and to be seen and not heard. She began having an affair with Sean Kaiser in 2012, and they eventually married. During the final divorce decree, she was only allowed one visit a week with her five children at a Chick-fil-A. As she began rebuilding her life, holding down a job and getting a driver's license, she was able to provide money towards the children's care, but never knew what exactly would cause Timothy to fly into a rage. He began granting her fewer visits with the children because of it. Amber admitted during trial testimony that Timothy was often physically abusive towards her. The church Timothy belonged to was a Christian fundamentalist group that believed women were subservient to men, wore long skirts, and kept their hair long. Amber called the children each night at 7 o'clock p.m. On the night of August 28, 2014, she called at 7 o'clock, as usual. Timothy answered, very agitated. Amber said that Natan was crying, and she asked what was wrong, and he said, Mom, I didn't mean to. Timothy was yelling in the background, quote, You could have killed yourself, son. Amber said that Natan could not catch his breath and was gasping for air. Timothy was angry with Natan for blowing four electrical outlets. Timothy got back on the phone and asked Amber, Why are you always defending the kids? He then told her to shut the fuck up and hung up on her. She tried calling back six or seven times, but received no answer. Amber called Natan Tater, and he loved Woody from the movie Toy Story. When investigators searched the mobile home, they found Natan's Woody doll smashed to pieces. After Timothy hung up on Amber on August 28, 2014, he, quote, PT'd Natan. When asked by investigators during his interview what this meant, he explained, squats, push ups, He did them for an hour, then left the house with Mary to go to a convenience store for cigarettes. When he returned home, he said he realized Natan was dead. He said he panicked and started hearing voices saying, What the fuck did you do, Tim? And thought the only thing to do was to kill the other children too. He said he strangled the two older children with his bare hands and killed the younger two children with a belt because his hands were too big for their necks. Timothy told investigators that he had heard voices telling him that the children were plotting against him and that he should kill the children before they, quote, chopped him up and fed him to the dogs. After Jones killed all five of his children, he thought about what to do with the bodies. Considering and searching for ways to dispose of the bodies, he made a list of what to do, starting with number one, head to campground, melt bodies saw bones to dust or small pieces, sanitation plant. Another list said, number one, fidelity. Day one, burn up bodies. Day two, sand down bones. In the end, he placed the bodies in his Cadillac Escalade and began driving. Based on receipts, investigators were able to question him about certain purchases he made. He had purchased dust masks, goggles, and a handsaw, as well as a five-gallon pail and muriatic acid. Investigators asked him, Were you purchasing that stuff at that time because you initially thought you might be able to go through with this? Jones replied, Partially, and then I couldn't bring myself to do it. During the trial, as they played his confession audio, Jones began weeping at this part. It's interesting to note that during the taped confession, Jones would sob and then instantly be matter-of-fact. For instance, when asked why did he purchase trash bags, he cried as he explained it was to put the children's bodies in. Then he instantly stopped to explain, but then to throw some of my own trash out too. I had a lot of stuff I was trying to throw out. Investigators asked him where he was planning to go when he left, and Jones said nowhere. He was just running. He had nowhere to go. Amber had scheduled visitation with the children on September 2nd. However, she had not heard from Timothy or the children since August 28th, so on September 3rd, she filed a missing persons report. Police entered the information into the National Crime Information Center, or the NCIC, which would hit upon his information if law enforcement agencies made contact with him and ran his vehicle registration information or his driver's license information. On September 5th, Timothy had pulled over in someone's yard to collect himself and figure out where he was. When he was pulling out on the road, he got stuck in a ditch and a wrecker had to be called to get him out of the ditch. An officer made contact with him that night who was just patrolling in the area. Timothy stated during his confession that his children were still in the car with him at that point. However, the officer did not sense anything out of the ordinary and apparently did not run Timothy's information or the plates of the Escalade. Timothy continued driving that evening. The next evening on September 6th in Smith County, Mississippi, Timothy was stopped at a vehicle safety checkpoint by Smith County deputies. Chief Deputy Marty Patterson approached Timothy's Escalade and noticed the windows were down and a foul odor was coming from the vehicle. Patterson later said, It was the smell of decomposition. I call it the smell of death. Deputies found a bucket of cleaning supplies, including bleach and muriatic acid, as well as bloodstains and maggots. Timothy's information was checked through NCIC, and they got a hit because of the missing persons information. He was immediately detained, and he was also arrested on charges of possession of synthetic marijuana possession of drug paraphernalia, and driving under the influence. On Sunday, September 7th, 2014, investigators from South Carolina went to Mississippi to meet with Timothy Jones and interview him. Timothy wasn't very cooperative, but when the FBI arrived on Monday, he told them they were nice, although at the end of the interview, he called them assholes. Jones took investigators to where he had left his five children, each in their own plastic trash bag. He drove with his children's bodies for over a week at a distance that spanned approximately 700 miles. Before he dumped his children, he tried to saw Natan's leg off, but then decided he could not do it. When asked by investigators how many trips he took to move the bodies, he said that he moved them two at a time until they were all out of the car. I'm going to pause the case right here, so you can hear a word from our sponsor. I have been looking for all natural and healthy products to add to my rotation of beauty supplies, if you will. And I found this amazing deodorant called Native. Now at Native, they create safe, simple, and effective products that people use in the bathroom every day. They create products with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. Now, if you're not convinced, check out the 7,000 five-star reviews from their customers, including from me. Now, here's the thing. Native really works. I cycle pretty much every other day, and it's an intense workout where I am sweating like crazy. And let me just tell you, when I get off the bike, my pits don't really stink, which means that I smell like my favorite Native deodorant scent, lavender and rose. As I mentioned earlier, I am looking for products that are more in the clean beauty atmosphere. So less is more with Native. They have fewer, simpler ingredients, so I know everything that's in my deodorant. And it's worth it. You may or may not know this, but aluminum can be linked to some serious health ramifications, including breast cancer and Alzheimer's. Although Native is priced at a slight premium when compared to conventional deodorants, it is safe and effective, and honestly, I'm willing to pay the higher price for a quality ingredient. Native comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women, plus they release new limited-edition seasonal scents throughout the year. They also offer unscented formulas and baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities. Now for the good stuff. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code TCFC during checkout. That's nativedeodorant.com Use promo code TCFC during checkout for 20% off your first purchase. The best part is they offer free returns and exchanges in the U.S., so there's no risk to try. Grab your native at nativedeodorant.com. Use promo code TCFC for 20% off your first purchase. During Timothy's trial, many facts came out about his younger years, including a traumatic brain injury he suffered during a car wreck at the age of 15. His defense attorneys argued that he was not guilty by reason of insanity and that the accident, coupled with the schizophrenia inherited from his mother, meant he was unable to tell right from wrong. However, his schizophrenia had not been diagnosed at the time of the murders. Additionally, when investigators seized his phones, one of the things he had searched for in the days after the murders was schizophrenia and its symptoms. Timothy's grandmother, Roberta Thornsbury, called Timothy's mother, Cynthia Turner, nutty and crazy as a bedbug. bug. She stated that when Timothy was an infant, his mother would dress him up in flannel in 90-degree heat, yet bathe him in cold water in all temperatures. She fed him laxatives to cleanse his body and sometimes did not feed him at all because his mother did not want a fat baby. Thornsbury once found her daughter-in-law in a closet, cutting up all of their clothes. There were times when Timothy would lie in his urine, crying, and his mother wouldn't let Thornsbury inside to help take care of him. Timothy's father, Tim Jones Sr., who had issues with drugs, alcohol, and domestic abuse, began sleeping with one eye open. Thornsbury had Jones's mother arrested when he was two because she had tried to kidnap him by crawling out of Roberta's window with him and over the fence. When Timothy Sr. was 20 years old, he moved back in with his mother and she took care of little Timmy while his father worked. Cynthia worked as a sex worker and also was institutionalized for schizophrenia. By the time of the murders, Cynthia had been institutionalized for years. Jones Sr. spent $2,000 on a computer for his son, only to be shocked when he walked in a few days later to find little Timothy sitting among computer parts. He asked his son what he was doing, and little Timmy replied, I'm fixing it. The next day, the computer ran faster and better. However, when Timothy hit his teens, he changed, as most people do. He told psychiatrists that he first started hearing voices at age 10. At age 12, he started smoking marijuana. At age 15, he had the accident. He became jealous of anyone who had his dad's attention and felt his father did not love him. When his dad remarried, Timothy felt his dad had chosen his new wife over him. After high school, Timothy had aspirations of joining the Navy SEALs Despite the rigorous emotional, physical, and mental requirements necessary to be part of that elite group, Timothy did not make the cut. He lasted only a few weeks in boot camp. He would often be found alone, crying at times. He was given a general discharge for substance abuse and depression. Once he returned home, Timothy started hanging out with the wrong crowd. He was arrested for cocaine possession, car theft, Burglary and forgery of checks that belonged to his father. He was sent to boot camp in Illinois for a year. When he was released, he came back a different person. He had found religion, began quoting the Bible, and used Bible verses to browbeat others in the small church he belonged to. There were only twenty five other people at this church, and most of them did not like Timothy because of his habit of constantly talking in Bible verses. His father believed it was a cult. Timothy threw himself into his church and began speaking in tongues and following the 23rd chapter of Proverbs rigorously: quote, "Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die." End quote. After Jones’s divorce from Kaiser, he went through several babysitters. The first two, Jody Durney and her mother-in-law, Ruby Durney, both stated that Jones was distraught over the divorce, but that his home was immaculate. They saw him as a dedicated and wonderful father for his children, and that his children loved him very much. Ruby Durney even said, quote, I could see him as my child's father, end quote. Crystal Ballantyne was another babysitter who worked for Timothy. She was just 17 when she started working for him, and she had an infant daughter herself. Timothy hired her to babysit from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. She also cooked, cleaned, and did other chores. Not long after, she began a sexual relationship with Timothy and was soon sleeping over. After that, she started attending church services with him. She said people spoke in tongues and rolled on the floor. As time went on, Crystal became upset with Jones because he wanted her to adopt the ways of his church, long hair, long skirts, and becoming subservient to him. She also said that he was becoming more physical with his children, starting to spank them as a way of discipline, or making them stand in the corner on their toes. Jones started going out at odd hours, drinking and smoking marijuana. One day, Crystal walked in on Jones, on the verge of punishing her infant daughter for some imagined infraction. Her daughter wasn't even a year old yet. Joy Lorick was one of the last of his babysitters. She went to Myrtle Beach with the Jones family and kept the younger kids while the older kids went down to the water with Timothy. In court, Lorick was shown a video from that trip and became tearful. She also went to Disney World with the family. Timothy said on the way there, that if they didn't stop getting wound up, he was going to stop the car and make them exercise until they calmed down. Loric then said that in the hotel, Gabe was shrieking and Natan was running around. When Jones came back from the bar across the street, Loric had asked them all to stop, but they continued. Timothy took down their pants and whipped them both with his belt. This action upset Loric. At home, The children were given oatmeal to eat all day. Once, before she left for the day, one of the children asked Lorick to not tell their father that she had just fed them because he might not feed them again. In early August 2014, Lorick called DSS to report Jones, but they did not do anything about the complaint. There had been a previous DSS complaint against Jones, who had made a written promise he would not physically harm his children. In May 2014, Karen Leonhardt, the nurse at Sachs Gotha Elementary School, had photographed bruises on the boy's neck and forearms. She reported the bruising to DSS as possible child abuse. The DSS actions in this case were scrutinized, and Amber filed a suit against the state. Timothy's traumatic brain injury was discussed in detail during his trial, MRI scans and 3D images revealed that Timothy's traumatic brain injury had left a large depression on the front of his skull. Sometimes, trauma such as these can affect a person's moods, emotions, and cognitive skills. However, during the trial, neuropsychologist Aaron Bigler, a retired Brigham Young University professor, stated that he could not clearly determine how the TBI affected Timothy specifically. He has a broken brain, that's all I can show, he said. Pointing out Timothy's accomplishments to Bigler, earning a computer engineering degree with honors and working for Intel, Bigler said that a high IQ can influence the brain's ability to recover as the brain, like any organ, is designed to heal itself and adapt. Pastor Micah Sutton was the leader of Jones's church. However, Jones left after two things happened. The first of these was when Jones wanted to be a leader in the church, but Sutton made it clear that this could not happen because he was too disruptive. The second incident was Timothy telling Sutton that his wife was trying to seduce him. Timothy said that the pastor's wife was wearing things and approaching him and communicating with him, not in words but by actions and expressions, that she was trying to seduce him. Sutton then explained to Timothy that his wife was an introvert. Timothy would sometimes tell Sutton that it seemed like there was a monster in him trying to get out. April Hames is a Columbia family and marriage therapist who counseled Jones during his divorce. She testified that Timothy asked her not to wear heels during their sessions. She did not comply. Timothy told her that spanking and corporal punishment was medicine for their sick bodies. Hames saw Jones playing with his children in her office, and they all seemed happy. At one of their last sessions, Timothy asked Hames to write an affidavit for his divorce attorney that he would be fit to raise his children alone. Part of the statement was read during the trial. In my professional opinion, Mr. Jones is a highly intelligent, responsible father who is capable of caring for his children as the sole custodial parent. He is no stranger to responsibility, as he worked his way through a very demanding and challenging undergraduate engineering program while being a father, husband, and an employee at often more than one job. His thoughts are very detailed, action-oriented, and focused on his children. When Mr. Jones sees an obstacle, he sets his sights on a solution and is willing to go through the often difficult process of achieving his goals. The prosecutor said, quote, that's the Tim Jones you knew or you wouldn't have written the affidavit. Hames agreed. On June 4, 2019, after just six hours and 15 minutes, the jury found Timothy Jones Jr. guilty of murder. The trial lasted 14 days and there were more than 30 witnesses for the prosecution and 23 defense witnesses. During the sentencing phase, many of his family members, including his ex-wife and the mother of his slain children, asked for mercy and a life sentence, rather than the death penalty. However, Timothy Jones Jr. was sentenced to death. His attorneys have already filed an appeal, based in part on one of the jurors becoming emotional during the viewing of autopsy photos. His attorneys argued that this meant this juror could not be impartial, Unfortunately, not much is known about the children who were slain by their father. I usually like to end the episode with information about the victims, but can only end the case with how DSS failed these five sweet children. So many people knew Tim had not been acting right in quite some time. Even his grandmother wanted to take the two youngest children home with her. There are reforms being made in many states, but obviously, more needs to be done. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, You can also find us on Instagram, tcfc underscore podcast. And of course, our website is truecrimefanclub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, tcfcpod at gmail.com. Audio engineering and custom music for the show was provided by Nico at wetalkofdreams.com. Follow him on Twitter at wetalkofdreams. This episode was researched and written by Suzanne St. John.